Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the October edition of The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life details the journey to and sometimes from the CCO position. This month I feature Bridget Abraham, the CCO at Remitly, who has one of the most unique journeys to the CCO chair that I've come across. It's a fascinating exploration of how to get to the CCO chair. In this concluding part four of my visit with Bridget Abraham on this month's The Compliance Life, she reflects on her non-traditional compliance career. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back with Bridget Abram. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for our concluding episode on this month in the Compliance Life. We have been visiting with Bridget Abram, and who had a decidedly non-traditional journey to the CCO chair. It's been a fascinating exploration. As we ended our last episode, she has moved to the chief compliance officer chair at Remitly, and we had a great discussion about kind of the current challenges she has and the skills she's learned in the different disciplines she's worked in. So we're going to explore that a little bit further and perhaps ask you to put on your prognostication hat, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. I want to throw a couple of kind of macro trends at you. The first, of course, was the pandemic, which affected us all and literally across the world. And I've really come to believe that the Russian invasion of Ukraine puts a bookend on 
changes that started during the pandemic or started before the pandemic, but then accelerated during the pandemic. And it strikes me in listening to you about the work of First Western Union and now Remitly, that the work you do in remittances across the globe is only going to grow. And so I just wondered if you, what you thought of that assessment and is that something you see as well? Yeah, I do. And you see it in the growth. I think through the pandemic, you saw an amazing growth, particularly for digital remittance companies, changing of people's patterns and how they wanted to move money and live around the world. And I think with the immigrant population, the movement of different geopolitical issues and people moving around the world, it's created a whole new focus on remittance and how we move money around. And I think companies like Remitly and Western Union plays a part in it, but companies like Remitly even facilitate that further to make it less reliant on traditional banks and others for how they get that money to move around the globe. And it's also continues to be an important lifeline with these geopolitical events to have someone go somewhere else and then send money back home to support their local family or communities, either for quick disaster recovery or general living expenses. And there's a lot of other use cases that happen with it around the world. But I think what we're seeing is we're just going to continue to be more connected globally and more mobile around the world. And remittance plays an important part in how that is, how it supports the movement of money around the world. I interviewed someone this morning for another podcast, and it was more along, it was not a, around these topics, but it was around efficiency. And he said, no, Tom, it's not efficiency. It's removing friction. It sounds like to me, that's what Remitly does. It removes the friction of sending remittances through its own fintech solution. Would that be fair as well? I think that's absolutely fair. How do we make it easier, faster, and continue to be reliable around the globe. You don't want to create something where you have to go through 85 steps to send $100 back home to somebody, right? And so it is about removing as much friction as we can, but still keeping it reliable and safe for our customers. Let me turn to the regulators in your space. Is it the same sort of group, FinCEN or state regulators that you're in discussions with about the comp compliance program that Remitly has, or is it others? It's, it is those. It's also the consumer, it could be the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau in the U.S. Outside of the U.S., we do work with the EU regulators quite a bit, and we continue to work with others like in Australia, Austrac, and other leading reg regulators that are concerned and focused on international payment space. Do you find the regulators understand the dynamic business model that you're in and really work to apply either standards and practices that have been in place or are you having to create a new set of standards and practices because of your very dynamic business model? I think it's evolving. We do play a large education with some regulators and they've had now, especially through COVID, there's been a lot more discussion and education with the regulatory bodies on what this means and what's the difference with ours. A lot of regulation and practices were really written around traditional banking. And so I think it's an evolving situation, but really sitting down and explaining the differences and the nuances of our business with the regulators and how we tailor to be able to find and manage, protect the financial services industry with their partnership is key in how we do that. And I, I think it's a learning curve. I think 
there are many regulators that are very interested in it and interested in learning from us and what we do. And we've been meeting with those regulators around the world, such as in Australia, in the UK and others. And they're looking for partners to understand how can we work together to build the right controls and programs and regulation around the globe. I found your background incredibly unique for a chief compliance officer. And we've <laughs> spoken about that, starting with uh, your master's in ag eco all the way to the Fed and some of your other work. And as you said, sometimes you were the only woman in the room. What would you say to a woman in college now who's thinking about compliance, who's thinking about data analytics or many of the uh, skills you learned? Is this a path that you would advocate for a woman? Are there opportunities for other women because of, frankly, of people like you breaking ground? Yeah, I think there are. I think it's, if you're interested in, in compliance brings a different space than perhaps it used to be where there was a traditional path to it through being a lawyer and having that background. But I think being able to use your skills in understanding analytics and how that can apply to many areas and how you can use that to articulate what you think, what you mean, what does that mean for risk? What does it mean for the company? It can lead you to where you want to be. And I don't think you have to have any more this traditional background where you want to get. I think there are obviously certain areas of compliance that you would want a legal background and you want to do. But I think there's a lot of room now and a lot of space to think about how you partner with your legal partners and understand that basis. But how do you use some analytical skills to move and be able to articulate what you need to do across the board? And there's a lot of power in that. The skill of data analytics is certainly a very well-known skill. Perhaps less is the skill of a data analytics professional to take that information and be able to articulate a story for a lawyer like me or some business person who may not have the analytical skills. How are you able to develop that storytelling skill and not simply translate the numbers, but able to take that translation and explain that to someone who didn't understand or didn't have your professional background or academic background? Yeah, I think it was, I think if you really write something, and I was fortunate enough to learn a lot of these skills actually at the Fed where we had to publish papers and write papers with really complicated data models behind it, but you had to be able to write an article that explained it to people who wanted to read it. And those people didn't have a degree in economics and math. And so that's a really, it was a really important skill. It was very, I had some very hard lessons learned in there. Very, I had some moments I was crying. It was horrible. I wanted to quit, but I learned so much about how to take a step back and think about what is the person on the other end hearing? What are they going to absorb from it? And what are my three key messages? I think sometimes, particularly with data analytics, we want to show all of our work and all of our math and explain everything we did step by step. And you don't need to do that, right? There's what I usually coach people on is I hired you and I trust you that you did all the work underneath. Now tell me your three conclusions that you got from there. And what should I walk away with? If I'm only going to walk away with three things I remember, what should I walk away with? And I think it's important to keep that in mind when you want to communicate anything. You want to communicate to your boss, what are the three things of why I should have a raise? What are the three things you want them to walk away with? And even dealing with regulators and others, what are the key messages you want to get across? And making sure you're thinking about they don't, they should trust me on the math underneath it. Doesn't mean you won't have to show your work someday, but translating that into the three things that I really want you to know from what I just spent two months on. So let me flip that question now and say you're 
talking or perhaps even counseling someone like me with legal background who can add two plus two with the assistance of a calculator <laughs> to make me understand why data analytics is not just a nice to have in compliance. It's not just table stakes. It's absolutely mandatory. How do you have those conversations with legally trained professionals that what data analytics does bring to the table? I think overall, if we're really honest, right, a lot of regulation, particularly in the financial crime space, AML, it's not, it doesn't tell us exactly what to do, right? It doesn't tell us that two plus two is four. It just says add up two plus two and see what you get. So I think articulating that data analysts can at least help us understand how much risk or how much of something, whatever we're trying to measure, we have in our portfolio or process can help us articulate how big of a problem might we have or how little so we know where to focus, right? So we don't over pivot and create a program that should always be seen in legal analysis and compliance, putting in a control when we have our exposure might be two customers and it's a small area of the law and it, or it's not articulated. How can we use that to then base the controls we put in place that makes sense for the organization? And then you can tie that right to legal analysis to say, this is a legal requirement, but let's also evaluate our risk exposure so we can see, do we need to do this on, on a manual basis? Do we need to have a fancy tool to put in place? And it can help you really make those decisions about where to focus because you can't focus on everything. So Bridget, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode and for this month's series. I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey with us. And it's been a fascinating podcast series and you have a great story and I hope that uh, you will keep telling it. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted more information on yourself or any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best way for them to connect? With? The best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. And I'm always happy to connect with anyone who's interested. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. And I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for the time. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.